When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome and bienvenue, welcome to Real Talk, a movie podcast which each week covers a new release and selected movie news with a revolving cavalcade of guests only on the We Made This Podcast Network. My name is Nick Chandler, your master of ceremonies, host and everything between, and joining me today in this episode is film and television writer and one of our and one of the hosts of WOT's own podcast 616, Ashley Thomas. Welcome back, Ashley. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me back. Having you back, exactly. Um, before we get going uh, with this week's episode on Flux School May, uh, the new film from Peter Strickland, please follow us on Twitter at RealTalkWMT, the We Made This podcast network on at We underscore Made This. And please review and drop us a rating. Really, really helps us get the show out there. Um, so I having you having you back as uh, my second, my my rec- first recurring guest. Oh, on, wonderful. Uh, on Real Talk, yeah. Yay, that's uh, exciting. Had, had you had you on for Nope and that went so well and you didn't weren't scared off by the experience that you agreed to come back uh <laughs> this week. Yeah, yeah, um, no, I, I was uh, I was excited to uh, be invited back, especially to talk about something so weird and wacky as Flux Gourmet. Yeah, weird and weird and wacky, yeah. Um weird I think um I think it's going to be going to be an interesting one that talking about the, the, this movie. Um, uh, but first, I kind of wanted to. Um, I know I usually do movie news, um, but I really wanted to have the chance to talk about because obviously it's it's, it's October, you know, hol- hol- Halloween all this horror kind of stuff going on, um, and I really wanted a chance to talk about uh, last week's release or was last week before weekly release of um, Werewolf by Night, um, which is the MCU kind of special presentation i think they called it uh, that, <laughs> yes. that dropped on disney disney plus um dropped on disney plus uh, october 7th now so a couple of weeks ago um it's directed by uh, michael gaiacchino um who everybody kind of knows as a composer um and but he's kind of done a couple of short movies and this is his first long form um directing gig pretty much and um based on character of the same name um werewolf by night um and it's kind of going in more into the horror monster aspect of uh the marvel universe um starring gail uh, garcia barnell as the top lead character um lauren laura donnelly and harriet sansom harris um, I said it dropped on o- October seventh, and um, I don't know about you. I mean, I was kind of really, really impressed by this. I mean, it was shot in black and white, or is it shot? Yeah, it was shot in black and white. You you had some really, really great practical effects going on. But the performances were really good. There were some couple of really good inspired directorial directorial like moments, like shots that I thought were really quite inspired. 
and um honestly I, I'm, I'm kind of happy to see this in the mcu uh, uh, i don't know what 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 do, what do you think um i hope marvel does a halloween special every year and i would not be sad if we saw werewolf by night again because i thought it was fantastic um i i am a um nostalgia addict <laughs> by uh, I, I don't know by nature or what but i i love slightly old things and so uh i went through a phase when i was maybe about 10 years old one summer where i decided i wanted to watch all of the universal monster movies um and uh, my public library had them all so i uh, i one by one uh, i could check out three vhs tapes at a time so i i checked out uh three and, and the one that still holds up for me uh as an adult really well is uh, Lon Chaney Jr.'s The Wolfman, um, largely because of his performance. And for for me, watching Werewolf by Night, uh, there's definitely elements of that film in this, uh, in this particular special. Uh, the black and white really works well for the, um, the tone and the aesthetic that they're, they're trying to give off. Uh, I've I just really, really enjoyed it. Um, I really hope, uh, we get more of this uh, kind of stuff from Marvel. Um, and Marvel's got loads of different things to uh, to, to draw from. Uh, you know, if they want to do several, like, one-off specials and kind of experiment. And, and that was something I said uh, in our podcast episode on Podcast 616 about this, is that it felt like an experiment to see, well, can we do this thing? Will it be successful? Will people respond well to it? Okay, if that's the case let's maybe use these characters again or let's uh dig in and how many other slightly obscure characters can we make little specials about um and just see if they work um and disney plus is the perfect kind of playground for that so really enjoyed werewolf by night love the practical effects particularly love that the man thing costume was a was a an actual costume and not cgi uh there's some cool behind the scenes pictures of that really really enjoyed that yeah i, I th honestly thought that the practical kind of side of things really really surprised me especially when it came to man thing that you know we've been kind of surprised kind of been so accustomed to cgi monsters really um everything kind of has to be you know if, if it is practical then it always is always kind of overdubbed with you know cgi and and special effects and it, it really detracts from you know the, the artistry that you get from a, like a, a proper you know a proper costume like a proper makeup and proper like effect you know that practical effects um you know a, cl a classic example is is the 2011 uh the thing the one starring Mary elizabeth wenstead there's an incredible behind the scenes uh shots and footage and photos of the practical work that they were going that they would they had doing and it was it was really really impressive and then when you watch the movie, it's all just been removed completely and replaced by a CGI nothingness, and it just detracts at all from the tactility that that you that was going to come from that. And it's kind of comforting to see Marvel be kind of comfortable in a position where they're thinking, okay, with Man Thing, this is something that has to feel tactile, or something that has to feel real. Um, you know that they are get you know they are getting better at the whole. CGI uh, kind of not inhuman characters you think of the um, 
the the Black Order and in Infinity War and in Endgame. Um, you know, but it's kind of good to see Man Thing be a practical effect. Um, and the response as well. I think the response from this has been really, really positive. Um, I think everybody's kind of just been kind of happy that it, it's out there. It's like it's an hour long. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's you know, it's got some really good monster movie homages and, and moments. Um, and I thought the the black and white cinematography was was really, really good. Um, it could have just been, you know, it, it, could, it could have just been there as a, I don't know, you know, it could have just been there as a, a visual note and not been used in any kind of effective way, but it was really was actually used it in a way that kind of harkened back to that you know universal monsters era yeah um, and, and, you know just just to add uh, a thought that i had as, as we were discussing um i'm wondering because uh, visual effects teams are so taxed right now uh i'm wondering are they making i mean clearly here it's a it's it's a clear aesthetic choice uh, to do a lot of practical effects and um, interesting camera work, uh, which, you know, obviously you don't necessarily need too much uh, visual effects work uh, to in, in post-production to uh, clean it up, make it look good. Um, I'm, I'm curious if some of this is, is not also a, an economic choice because VFX teams are so taxed right now um, and visual effects is uh, expensive and whatever is this a budget saving i mean disney has all the money on the planet so i mean it's not like <laughs> they're they're hard up for cash but the uh, I, I i'm wondering it, are we going to see more of this now and it's becoming you know practical effects are becoming a practical choice because of um you know overworked vfx teams are um, just unavailable to to do the work necessary yeah, I mean that that could be that could be a reason why they why they decided it, to kind of go that way. Yeah, yeah and I hope yeah. yeah, I hope you're right. Right, I hope if they, you know, there there is a certain there is a certain hint that Marvel is wanting to go in that direction. You know, like explore more the weirder kind of stuff on with Marvel, um, yeah. in the Marvel comics, and and you know, it, it kind of it would be nice to see that all done with practical effects. You know, it, it's rather than cgi even right. if you know if, just speaking from a fan's point of view not from somebody who's you know loving you know love seeing this you know practical effects i just mean like the weirder stuff that you see in the marvel comics it would just be nice to see that presented with some kind of tactility right um, yeah yeah and, and you know as as someone who is a big fan of of practical effects especially practical effects in horror movies, you know, talking about the thing, the practical effects in the original thing are just magnificent. Um, you know, something like Werewolf by Night, where, you know, uh, I, in particular, I'm just kind of in love with that Man-Thing costume. Like, Man-Thing scared me so much as a little kid, just reading him in, in, in comics, uh, but then realizing, oh no, they made a suit. This isn't like CGI mocap stuff, that, which, I mean, looks great and is really fun and cool to do but no this is a uh, this is a real man <laughs> in this man thing suit and i i think that's just fantastic um it, and it just it looks real like he looks 
gross and scary and I kind of want to touch it even though it will probably kill me if you know is the real man thing um or ted as we should say it was it was surprisingly violent as well i thought yeah. I, I didn't expect it to go that violent i think um you know decapitations and saw bb from fraser get melted you know it's <laughs> it's it's kind of it's kind of nice to see i mean with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I don't know if that sounds like a backhanded compliment or not, but you know, I, I think you know we're going into that like I said weird era. And you know when Blade was announced a couple of years ago, I mean, it's going to be, you know, we don't even know if that movie's ever going to be made now because of all the director stuff going on. But like when that was announced a couple of years ago, everyone was thinking, oh, how are they going to do that? How are they going to incorporate you know Blade into the MCU? You know, like you can't do what Stephen Norrington did and what Del Toro did in the MCU. I think what they're showing now with the, this is that they're going, okay, no, this the way Marvel has gone is like there are branches like there are in the comics. There are branches of Marvel can go off and do their own different things and you don't necessarily need it to stick to a set formula. I think that's what Phase 4 is kind of turning into is is almost setting off these branches in these different directions yeah phase um, four phase four has felt really like i've enjoyed everything i i like the only thing i have not yet seen out of phase four is the eternals i i i missed it in the theater and i'm weird about watching movies in the theater and i just not been able to take the time to to sit down and really watch it but everything that i've seen thus far in phase four i've really enjoyed but uh, by the end, I'm like, hmm, that was fun, but I have questions. <laughs> you know, uh, I I'm eager to see where they go with with all of these different threads, uh, because ev I mean, with the Infinity Saga, ev everything was kind of interconnected in some way. These things, I mean, for the most part, you feel like you've got a lot of little lines strung out, and they they don't seem to form a cohesion just yet. Um, I mean, kind of, I guess the thing that's most connected with the rest of the MCU is Shang-Chi. Um, and, and now She-Hulk, since Wong is in that too. Uh, so, again, if Werewolf by Night is a one-off thing and we don't ever see these characters again, you know what, I think it's okay because we've got, a, like, a complete story. But yeah. um, if these characters show up elsewhere, and I really hope they do because uh, Gail Garcia Bernal was just really... Uh, endearing as as Jack Russell. Um, I, I hope we see him again. I really want to see the man thing again. It would be a shame to waste that beautiful costume. 
Uh, and I really uh, enjoyed, um, is it Laura Donnelly who played Elsa Bloodstone? Yeah. Yes, I really enjoyed her as well. So I, I do hope uh, we see these characters again. Um, I could see uh, Elsa show up um, and, and run into like Jimmy Woo and Darcy. Like something weird's going on and she's investigating it and uh, and they're after it too. So um, I could see them teaming up. Um, apparently um, Moon Knight's first appearance in the comics was in Werewolf by Night. So potential for some crossover there. Um, yeah, so anyway. Lots more I could say about Werewolf by Night, but I I uh, I did that already on on podcast six one six. So uh, yeah. please go check it out. And if if you like uh, uh, Nick, I can uh, send it to you to include in the show notes. We'll do. We'll do. Yeah. Um, just a, just a note on Eternals. I mean, I I'm probably one of the few people that liked Eternals. Um, I've dubbed it in the past as Marvel's Jupiter Ascending. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, liked I hate Jupiter, Jupiter Ascending. Ascending. Don't ever make that comparison. <laughs> no, Jupiter Ascending was like one of the most disappointing movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It's so bad. Uh, but anyway, please continue. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Didn't mean to um, like poo-poo your your uh, movie aesthetics. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I the, the, the what I mean by that is is that it just takes such a wild swing. Like both Eternals and Jupiter Ascending, they they take wild swings, and um, whether they land or not is entirely dependent on the person watching them i found um there's something you know i I could talk about the wachowskis and how they are probably the most sincere filmmakers out there it's one of the great things about matrix resurrections is it's just so sincere it's so heartfelt it's so genuine that there's not a hint of cynicism in there at all um and kind of eternals is almost marvel's attempt to kind of do the same thing Mm-hmm. Um, Chloe Shell's uh, cinematography at times is really, really breathtaking, and it really does seem out of place in the MCU. Um, I think her film, The Rider, is one of the best films in the last twenty years. Um, if you've not seen that, I really, really check it out. Uh, she did another movie called Songs My Brother, uh, My Brother Showed Me, or Songs Songs My Brother Taught Me, mm-hmm. um, and that film is really, really beautiful. Um, I wasn't as strong on Nomadland as other people, but I thought it was still quite, you know, the best moments of that movie was the kind of the the landscape shots um, and kind of seeing her within the, the realms of the MCU in Eternals was kind of cool to see. Um, but yeah, like it's going back to the, the whole, the, the branches thing, like that's kind of where I feel the MCU's kind of gone with phase four is it's just setting up all these branches into different things. And just kind of seeing what sticks and what doesn't. Um, one of those, I just want to touch on this. I don't know how long this this is going to take because I know I know your feelings on this. Um, is the finale for She-Hulk, um, which also <laughs> aired um, as of last Friday, uh, last Thursday, uh, as of recording. And the um, huh, how do we say fallout of the uh, the 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 response of this has been wildly varying. Um, some people this is i i don't really want to touch on um kind of like the the, the the machinations of the plot and what have you more just the usage of the fourth wall because i feel that this is something worth talking about sure in that there's a there's the the whole character of she hulk she breaks the fourth wall that the what i likened it to through the series is that her usage of the fourth wall is almost like it's it's like fight it's like fight sequences like so she-hulk is using a fourth wall through the series as as a fight sequence every time you get a fourth wall break it's almost like a little mini fight sequence 
And what that does is it kind of accustoms the audience to being accustomed to getting more and more kind of confident with having more and more like brazen fourth wall breaks, so we say, like more and more like outrageous fourth wall breaks that we're, that we're kind of used to in this environment, which then ultimately leads to, you know, the quote unquote boss fight of the season finale, where it completely breaks completely and does the classic She-Hulk thing of literally delving straight into the comic and talking to the comic book writers. Um, you know, the, the moment from... Um, um, the moment from Duck Muck where Bugs Bunny is looks at the camera and says, "Ain't I a stinker?" After torturing Daffy Duck, you know that's <laughs> right, kind of right, what right. she does. What she does, mm-hmm. and you have that moment in the in in the MCU now where she breaks the fourth wall. She breaks into the Disney Plus menu screen and goes then to talk to, you know, Kevin. Um, <laughs> now criticism that I've seen of this and I don't think it's I, I, I can understand where they're, they're coming from but I feel that it's this almost branches this is almost related to what I was talking about with Werewolf by Night in that it's giving these different things their own kind of branches saying it's okay to have this but it's also okay to have this it's also okay to have this Um. now there's an argument I've seen that says that this whole the final fourth wall break it, it just invalidates the entire narrative structure of of the MCU it's like well we can change things now what's the point in doing th- going things forward does do we need this in the future do we need to keep doing this in the future does that mean that this is going to happen in Avengers Secret Wars or for example um I don't think that that criticism is valid at all I think um She-Hulk does her thing in the She-Hulk show um, and whether she'll break the fourth wall in like a team-up movie you know she may do it a little bit but I honestly can't see them you know her breaking it completely just to you know change the plot of a massive movie um, which is what I think some people are, are trying to get at with what you know what they're, they're promising the MCU is kind of showing with this I don't know where you stand on that I, I, I kind of know where you stand on this but I, I want you to kind of you know Explain, explain where you're coming from this because you have a lot more background with She-Hulk, the character in the comics, than I than I do. So, um, you able to kind of uh, like expand on that a little bit? Sure. Uh, so, a, th- a few things. I, I I get the criticism, and I see where you're coming from. Like, if if that fourth wall break uh, in that finale just totally messed with your head. Uh, feel like it, it, it messes with the structural integrity of the MCU. I, I understand having that perspective. But I'll say this. Uh, so I have read uh, all of She-Hulk's solo books, except uh, I'm, I'm a few issues behind on the current one that's, that's uh, on, uh, uh, on your comic book store shelf right now. Um, with uh, She-Hulk... Um, you had, the, you had the series that was kind of her introduction in the late 70s, early 80s. Then she was in the Fantastic Four for a little while in the mid-80s. Uh, and that was written by John Byrne. Uh, I have not read that yet. But John Byrne, same comic writer, he was the guy that started the Sensational She-Hulk, which was her first really big and successful com- solo comic series uh, in 1989. Uh, and it was really with Byrne uh, 
where she started breaking the fourth wall. And, you know, she was cognizant that she was in a comic book. They and they and they have a lot of fun playing with that, and uh, that's part of the reason why that particular run of She-Hulk is my absolute favorite because it's so funny. Uh, She-Hulk has also, you know, kind of historically been. Um, she's she's tech actually probably um, if you're going by longest uh, like female comic that has a solo led book that has the uh, the longest run i think to this day she hulk if you if you look at all the legacy issues has the longest run of any female superhero um so she's 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 a very popular character within the comics and you know if if you only really followed mcu or marvel cartoons or whatever you've only seen her like a handful of times and this is, and for most people, this is their introduction to the character. I felt like the show really got the tone of the character right. She's she's very um, she's very funny. Um, she deals with a lot of women's issues, and I mean, uh, unfortunately, that makes a lot of uh, people uncomfortable. Um, and that's okay because I mean, She Hulk's been doing that since the eighties. Uh, so I I don't feel like this is anything different than what I could have expected. And throughout the show, I've you know I'm watching it and I'm having a good time. I really enjoy it. I love Tatiana Maslany as you know as an actress. I think she's absolutely brilliant. Um, I th- I think the um, the way that she has portrayed uh, Jen is note perfect. Um, Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, but there was something I felt like it was that was lacking in the show, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And then I watched the finale, and it's like, there it is. Uh, I have read, I can, I can think of at least two off the top of my head, and I know there's more in that sensational She-Hulk run from the, uh, that ran from 89 to, uh, 94, um, 93 or 94, um, where She-Hulk literally is like, burn, this, this story is stupid, and so you have images of her literally tearing through the pages, or jumping uh, across panels, or, uh, like, several pages of her just, like, tearing, ripping through trying to get to the end of the book. Um, or actually walking into John Byrne's office and being like, dude, seriously, why are you doing this to me? This is so dumb. Um, and she's taking control of her narrative. And, I mean, and that's literally what, this is a metaphor of a, of a young woman in her 30s who, uh, I mean largely she hulk has had things happen to her she didn't choose to be a superhero she wasn't born with powers um she gained her powers by accident that was a thing that happened to her um 
uh, you know, and and largely, uh, you know, a friend of mine pointed out, he's like, I feel like She-Hulk's not really doing anything. Like, I feel like things just keep happening to her. Um, and I think this is a larger narrative for um, women who don't normally take control of their own story uh, or or drive the action in their lives. They just kind of take everything as it comes. They don't um, show, you know, show initiative or whatever in pursuing things they actually really want. Um you know, this is this is a, a metaphor for a young woman doing that, and I think it's one the way it's done is really fun and funny, um, and so it catches you off guard. But two, when you think about it, wow, that's actually a really um, interesting concept. That's a really in depth thing, and you don't see that a whole lot, at least not done in this way. Um, so I thought it was fantastic, and no, it doesn't break the MCU. She, like I said, She Hulk's been doing this since 1989. It's largely extended to her own book. If she does break the fourth wall in some other MCU stuff, I am not going to be mad about it because it's funny, and 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 I think that's something that we forget in our um, big blockbustery, um, you know, extremely well done Marvel MCU stuff is that. Um, you know, She-Hulk is, or comics are supposed to be fun. Superheroes are supposed to be fun, and we're having fun. And uh, I'm sorry, quit telling me I'm having fun wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's that's yeah. okay. That's okay. Sorry, I I got a little tangenty there. No, no, no. It's um, fun. It's fun. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that I had seen on and kind of through the run of the show, and it kind of reached its. Kind of exhausting point on Twitter. God bless that website. Is that there are a lot of comparisons inevitably with with Deadpool and and Wade Wade Wilson, mm-hmm. and it's there's all there is a double standard. But you can kind you you know exactly why there is a double standard. Um, them being okay, certain members of a fandom being okay with Deadpool doing this thing, but not right. okay with She Hulk doing this thing. And then them under like coming across the, the the finale, and you know, almost almost like the the finale is baiting them to, you know, want that ending of her facing off with Hulkling and the, you know, changing into a you know Hulk himself, and then Bruce coming back and and you know and fighting the abomination again and. It's baiting you into that moment of being like, you know, this is this is what you want, isn't it? This is what you want. And then she Hulk, like you said, the character, she just takes a hold of her own narrative and, and literally just turns back and said, No, this isn't this isn't the narrative that should exist. This is what should happen. And it, it it's just made a certain subset fandom, you know, hashtag mad online. And <laughs> Quite frankly, it's it's exhausting that we are in this, still in this kind of era where, you know, a show like She-Hulk, which I think is is, you know, really really fun. I really I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I thought Tatiana Maslany was utterly excellent. Um, one of the standout casting choices of new characters that come out in Phase Four. And I'm saying that you know, fully aware that we got Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac. Right. <laughs> um, you know, you know. Um, so like I think I think like the, the idea that this is this is breaking the fourth wall, this is breaking the MCU is just it's just not right. It it really isn't. Um 
and quite frankly like just allow this to exist and be happy that he and and just be happy that this that thing like this exists because it's a bold it's a bold choice what they did in the in the in this in this final episode you know it, it's not something marvel would have done five years ago no, no um, absolutely not <laughs> you know it's bold yeah and and i um, I was thinking like phase four started out bold with WandaVision uh, and, yes. and what, what a bold choice that was that uh, by the time I was done with that series, you know, even though we had the stereotypical boss fight at the end, um, I just thought everything they chose to do with WandaVision was so weird and daring and it worked. Um, yeah. and, and, and it made me really, really excited for whatever they were going to do with She-Hulk. Uh, because She-Hulk, um, for, you know, there's lots of different takes on She-Hulk out there, and I think they're all, um, I've I've really enjoyed everything I've read on the whole, but for me, I think She-Hulk is, is at her best when she is having fun and getting to be funny. Um, and I, for me, like, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's peak She-Hulk, and I think that's exactly what we got with this series, and uh, while I felt like at the beginning of the series, like, yeah, they're predominantly pulling from Peter David and uh, Dan Slott's run and from the mid 2000s, um, mostly because you, you have characters like Pug and uh, Mallory Book, which were introduced in that series, if I remember right. Uh, but also, you know, she's practicing specifically superhuman law. Uh, but even then in that series, they, they play a little bit with the fabric of reality because... Um, there's a case that you know involved uh, a superhero, and they were trying to um, use different um, comic books about these heroes as evidence in trial. And they're like, "Well, no, this is a federal case. You know, the, you know, how in the world can we use a comic book as evidence?" I'm like, "Well, wait. These were all stamped with the Comics Code Authority, which was a government organization, and that was how they, that uh, that evidence was permissible in court." I was like, "That's crazy." Um, but you know, the comics code authority was a big thing for a long time and yes, it was a government agency. So, um, you know, that's breaking the fourth wall a little bit, even if they're not talking directly to the audience. Um, so, you know, you're getting really meta here. And, and I think there, there is like with, with Deadpool, um, uh, and just to be honest on paper, I should really love Deadpool. I really don't like the Deadpool movies. I think they're stupid. I'm sorry. Uh, don't at me. It, they're just not my thing. Um, but I think, you know, because Deadpool was originally put out by uh, 20th Century Fox, you know, the, there's some um, canonicity questions, but, you know, uh, I mean, Deadpool 2 was released post-Disney buyout, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah. and And now we've got... Uh, another Deadpool movie coming up and they're bringing back Wolverine, which I mean, doesn't explain Logan. You know, I'm sorry if we want to you know, talk about <laughs> canonicity questions. I have questions about that, uh, which Logan is a fantastic film. That's a fantastic Western. I don't know that I would call it a comic book movie, uh, but <laughs> it's a great Western. Um, so, you know, it, there, there's lots of different criticisms that you can bring to this. And ultimately I see how you got there, but I don't agree. Um, yeah. I, I ultimately that's not where I land, and I, I am admittedly a little biased because this is my all-time favorite. You know, She-Hulk's my all-time favorite superhero, um, and uh, and so, um, you know, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But I, I still think 
this this worked for more people than just me. <laughs> um, you know, if you guys want uh, further insight, go check out um, our recent uh, episode discussion of this. It was me, uh, my co-host Hugh McStay on Podcast 616, and then a uh, special guest uh, and friend of the network, uh, Kalechi Ahinulo three of us talking uh together one that was like a really fun episode to record because the three of us were just laughing the whole time um yeah which which is you know made it fun to record but also um we come from with three very different um perspectives on the character and and uh familiarity with the character outside of the show so um you know i, th- I think it's worth hearing out those perspectives aside from me who's you know made a point of reading almost every book she's appeared in. So, you know, uh, you know, take that as you will. Um, and again, as with anything, um, opinions are subjective. Your mileage may vary, but I, I, I think the fourth wall breaking works. I hope we see it some more. Uh, if, it, if that finale is, um, the, the little offhand mention, uh, when she busts into the writer's room about, so in season two, blah, blah, blah. I really hope that means we're getting a She-Hulk season two, but, um, you know, her next appearance, if I had to guess, probably going to be in um, Daredevil. Um, yeah. M- maybe also in something else that Hulk shows up in. Um, maybe other Avengery type things. Or anytime somebody needs a superhuman lawyer, because, you know, we have those. Yes. Yes. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to stop talking because, uh, no. you know, this is this is a... I could easily talk for hours about She-Hulk and how fantastic she is, but... yeah. Or sensational, I should say. She's also she fantastic because she was in the Fantastic Four for a while. So she is sensational and fantastic. <laughs> um, please, please uh, listen to, um, like, like Ashley said, her and Hugh's episode on on the season finale and on Werewolf by Night. Uh, we'll add that into the show notes. Are you a fan of the Marvel Universe? Can you tell your Kang from your Doctor Doom? Well, if so, boy, do we have a podcast for you. Podcast 616 is the We Made This Network's long-running Marvel podcast, and it's under new management. We're your hosts, Ashley Thomas. And Hugh McStay. And together, we are going to lead you every step of the way through the Marvel Cinematic Universe's upcoming multiverse saga. Everything from She-Hulk to Avengers Secret Wars will be covered on the podcast in the kind of detail that would make a Wikipedia article blush. We're going to have some detours into the wider Marvel world where we'll look at non-MCU projects dating all the way back to Marvel's origins in the groovy, funky 60s and all the way up to the birth of the greatest franchise in cinema history. And we'll be joined on our adventure by a roll call of guests so impressively knowledgeable that they'll make the Avengers themselves look clueless by comparison. So if you like your opinions sharper than Wolverine's claws or takes hotter than the human torch's underpants then get Podcast 616 in your ears as a matter of urgency. You love it 3000. Podcast, Podcast 616. Disassemble. Um so I think we're going to we're going to move on now. Um we could talk about Marvel for for ages. Um but there is a reason why WMT has its own Marvel podcast uh, for yep. that exact reason. Um <laughs> unfortunately WMT doesn't have its own Peter Strickland focused podcast. Um I'm 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 going to try and get one done. But in the meantime, um, we're now going to move on to a review of the film Flux Gourmet. I like making noises. In what way?
Sing First concert. Wonderful. Thanks. But it's time to move on and continue our investigation into an array of interculinary disciplines. Flatulence. Yes. And deep breath. Am I going to die? Name me a living thing that isn't. What is he doing in there? Here's a very brief spoiler-free synopsis. At an institute devoted to culinary and alimentary performance, a collective finds themselves embroiled in power struggles, artistic vendettas, and gastrointestinal disorders. This is the fifth full-length feature from British director Peter Strickland. Uh, the film stars Asa Butterfield, Ariane, Ariane Labed, Fatma Mohammed, Makis Papadimitriou, and Gwendolyn Christie. Um, so, when I posted this, I wanted to review this film on on the WMT Discord. You you um, you immediately put your name straight away for Flux Gourmet um, because of Gwendolyn Christie. And yes. so, but you're because you you had seen her in uh, in Fabric, Peter Strickland's previous movie, so. What are what are your thoughts on on Peter Strickland? I I I I don't know if you've seen any of his other movies, um, but where do you stand on on his work? Um, because it is it is wholly unique. Um, is is the is the way I'm going to say it? Um, yeah. So wh- where where do you stand on Peter Strickland? So I've really only seen In Fabric and Flux Gourmet. But the reason he got on my radar was because of my adoration for Gwendolyn Christie. I'm just waiting for her to show up in the MCU one day. So, um, you know, playing whoever. So uh, Hugh has a segment on our show called Daredevil Watch uh, because he loves Daredevil. And so when we found out Daredevil was going to be in She-Hulk, he was very excited. And so every episode he had to institute Daredevil Watch. And did we see Daredevil this week? No. Um, (laughs) But anyway... um, I I came uh, uh, I came to know Gwendolyn Christie through uh, like many people through Game of Thrones. Um, she played Brienne of Tarth, who is my favorite character in all of fiction. Um, I I read you know I, I have a I have a very dear friend. She's she's uh, my best friend from high school. I think her superpower is telling you what books to read ten years before they become HBO programming. Um, so I, uh, I started reading, uh, the Song of Ice and Fire series in maybe like 2005, 2006. Um, and I met, you know, when I met Brienne of Tarth, I just wept, uh, because that was the first time I felt like I had ever seen a character who was like me in some way. I felt like I saw myself truly represented. Now, albeit I am a foot shorter than Gwendolyn Christie, uh, but like I, that, like the, the, the desire to be brave and to be strong and not let, not be defined by other people's um, expectations uh, of you. I just, I, I felt that very deep in my soul and it's, it's difficult for me to articulate well without like gushing or crying about how much that meant to me uh to see to see someone like that in in my in my fiction and so when they cast Gwen to play uh Brienne I'd never heard of her before but um I 
you know, that first episode where she shows up, I was like, ooh, there she is. That's my girl. Um, and just really just absolutely fell in love with her performance of Brienne. Um, I can't imagine anybody else playing her. And then um, in 2018, I got to meet Gwen uh, at Rhode Island Comic Con. And uh, easily, you know, I go to a lot of cons, and she was easily the best celebrity encounter I've ever had. Um, she was very, very kind to everyone. Um, you know, uh, I went through both her autograph and her uh, photo line, and um, she made everybody that she talked to feel like they were the most important person in the room. So not only is she just a brilliant actress who isn't afraid to do something weird or wacky or unusual, um, she's just a, a really great human, um, and I just love her to bits. So uh, forever sold me on, um, oh, Gwendolyn Christie is in this? I have to watch it. I don't care how weird it is. <laughs> and that was kind of what I, I learned about in Fabric is um, it's it's just a weird little movie. Um when I watched the trailer for it, uh, one of the reviews that they that they used in the trailer for In Fabric said uh, it was uh, Dario Argento meets David Lynch. And then I watched the movie. I was like, that's exactly what it was. This was like if David Lynch directed Suspiria. Um, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it from that perspective. It, it, the use of color. Um, when I would tell people about In Fabric, I said, it's basically Sisterhood of the Traveling Evil Dress. Um <laughs> they were like, what? I was like, yeah, you heard me. <laughs> so anyway, that was my introduction to Peter Strickland. Uh, I've not sought out uh, any of his other work, um, mostly because I don't think Gwyn was in them. <laughs> and that was uh, that was kind of how Flux Gourmet got on my radar is because uh, Gwyn was in it. Um, but uh, it seems that uh, she kind of seeks out these uh, weird artsy projects because she likes them. And, you know, she's made so much money doing Game of Thrones. And, and you know, she, of course, uh, does modeling work as well. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, she's she's more interested in being a good actress and doing interesting projects than uh, being like a, a movie star, if you will. Um, so I was I was eager to uh, to watch this and knowing what I know, too, about how much she loves Twin Peaks and um, and cult cinema. Um, I mean, it's, 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 it seems like, cause, um, uh, Fatma Muhammad was also an in fabric. Um, I, I, I think Peter Strickland's one of those directors that tends to, um, draw from other actors that he's worked with before. Like if he likes them and he thinks, uh, uh, they would be good for a particular role, he, he casts them. So I wouldn't be surprised to see her or any of these other actors show up in, um, later works that he does. So. Yeah, Fatma Muhammad has been in yeah. uh, all five of his films. Oh, has uh, she? she was okay. In a, yeah, she was. Um, the story goes is that she he was because uh, he shot his first movie, Catalin Varga, in um, Romania. It's a Romanian Hungarian movie. Um, he got some inheritance from his uh, and he basically went to went went over there to shoot his his movie and ended up um, yeah meeting Fatma Muhammad. Um, she did like she had like one line, and then uh, when he went back to Romania to screen the movie, he met up with her again, and and they got talking, and he's and he says, "Oh, can you speak any other thing apart from Romanian?" And she said, "Oh, she speaks Italian." And it turned out that his next movie was like, "Oh, my next movie is going to be in English and Italian. I'd love to have you come in and do that." So then she was in Barbarian Sound Studio. Then she went on to do Duke and Burgundy. 
Linen Fabric and now Flux Gourmet. Um, I've not seen Catalin Varga. I have it on DVD and I, I just haven't got around to watching it. Um, but my my exposure to Peter Strickland started off uh, in 2012, 2013. Uh, Barbarian Stu- Sound Studio came out and uh, English critic, uh, British critic Mark Kermode pretty much named it as his like best movie of 2012. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point I was you know, worshipping the ground that Mark Kermode said, you know, <laughs> I was, you know, it was like saying, you know, I, I have to watch this movie and um, was completely blown away by it. It's um, the sound design of that movie is incredible. Toby Jones gives an inc- an amazing performance. Um, the film really, really kind of gets under your skin. Um, and then it was like, okay, well, let's see what he does, does next. And then Duke of Burgundy came out and I sought that out. And that movie is, it kind of, t- it kind of, it, it, it's very, very surreal. I would, it is an erotic drama. Um, it's probably one of the most erotic movies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is incredible. Uh, two amazing performances by Sissy Babette, Babette Knudsen and, and Chiara Diana. Um, and then uh, I kind of just, I kind of forgot that in fabric came out um when that when that came out and had to watch it in preparation for this and it's kind of saying that peter strickland has this very very unique style which it really does feel british when i was watching in fabric it really really felt as though i was watching a a horror episode of are you being served um, which for those that aren't aware was a, a 70s sitcom set in a department store um, like a fashion department store in the mm. 70s um, very very British uh, lots of sexual innuendos um, and in fabric very much felt like a horror episode of that some of the visual cues of how that department store looks in in fabric literally it does feel as though it is taken straight out of Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Like those department stores. And when you read like what he was doing with when, when he spoke about in fabric, he, you know, he speaks that it it, it was it kind of came out of that. Every, every, every British kid of a certain age will know the feeling of being dragged around a department store by their mother or their grandmother you know and and kind of that that weird fluorescent lighting and and the weird <laughs> architecture and and obviously the clothes that you know nothing about and it it kind of does leave that weird imprint on you and your fabric really really does come from that um 
We we know what that's f- like in the U.S. too. I, I recall many a uh, drag through a department store with my mother. Yeah. <laughs> um, I found a quote from um, Prano Bailey Bond, a Welsh filmmaker. She directed Censor, which came out um, last year, um, which is a really really good horror movie, British horror movie. Really really recommend it. Um, and she says uh, Peter works in a weirder, more surreal space than a lot of UK filmmakers. Um, she says he's given audiences a different slice of contemporary British cinema. Um, what that kind of, what that kind of means for me is that it's presenting a weirder, surreal edge that you would see. It feels British. It feels like it really comes from a British sensibility, but there is a kind of a surreal Lynchian. Is the kind of the best word for it, I think, edge mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Um in Fabric really is the strongest of those. Barbarian Star Studio is incredible with its sound design. It really feels as though it's it can be a companion piece to a razor head. The Duke and Burgundy, like I said, it is really, really strongly erotic movie, with it, like I said, featuring two incredible performances. That was one of my favourite movies of twenty fourteen when that came out. And then uh in Fabric you know that really has is darkly funny um it's kind of the first in infab- uh, first strickland movie that i watched and thought this is darkly funny um and i think going into first score may i was kind of expecting that to continue that straddling the line between lynch horror darkly funny and british sensibility um, what I didn't expect was that some of those things didn't happen. Mm. Um, so I think we're going to go into like a spoiler-free uh, opinions now of Flux Gourmet. Um, so I think this movie is almost devoid of spoilers, maybe apart from the ending. Um, yeah. it's, it's more of a movie of, of a mood, I think, than anything. Um, and just happenstances, the, the kind of happen through the movie it doesn't feel as though it has any strong narrative thread that that feels as though oh it's going to spoil it if you get told it i think mm-hmm. apart from apart from a moment at the end of the movie um but that doesn't necessarily mean it that's a bad thing i i so what what did you think of um flux gourmet ashley i it was Definitely uh, a bit darkly funny, like in Fabric was. Um, had some of uh, some of the hallmarks of in Fabric too. Again, because that that's what I'm going to harken back to because that's the only film of his I've seen aside from Flux Gourmet now. Uh, but weird, um, like sexual uh, overtones. Um, lots of interesting use of color and. Um, um, I, th- I think you could say, uh, I think what you said about the film being more of a mood than a story, I think is, is really, uh, is, is a really apt descriptor. I think it really, uh, there, you know, there's certain, seg- you know, again, without getting into spoilers, there's certain segments where, um, the characters are, they're basically kind of doing like a, not necessarily like an improv exercise, but they're doing like some sort of acting exercise. And um, those I feel like are kind of meta commentary on 
the action of the of the of the film, which I think is is an interesting choice. Um, but it's basically like an exploration of art and ideas, and so I think for that, I think it is very interesting and it's different. It's not something that you see uh, very often. It also looks at um, it, it. It takes you get a, a a closer look at the personal history of each of the characters, um, and, and this partially helps um, you gain perspective about where they're coming from, and and you get a little more of their backstory and history that way. Um, but also, it really. You know, you hear them tell tell their stories, and you're like, "Wow, that's messed up," <laughs> and, and that's kind of a, a reaction that I had for a lot of the movie. Like, a, a thing would happen, and be like, "Wow, that's messed up," <laughs> um, and and I think that's the point. Like, is you know, I, I think everybody has those experiences of "Wow, that's messed up" in their life, um, to one degree or another, um, and. It's it's it becomes kind of a metaphor of well how do we make sense of these stories how do we w process them and I think um, the art that's being made in this film um, both within the context of the film and the film itself is an ex is an expression of how do we deal with our personal history I think that was a, re a really interesting storytelling device so. Overall, I, I, I liked the film. It's probably not going to be one I'm going to return to super often. I'm probably a little more likely to watch In Fabric before I am to watch uh, Flux Gourmet again. Um, but as a Gwen Christie fan, I'm just really excited to see her in a more prominent role. I think she's a brilliant actress that is criminally underused in almost everything that she's in. Um, so I was really happy to see her get a, a broader role in this film. I so I, I like I said in my kind of thoughts on Peter Strickland, I was kind of expecting Flats Gourmet to be in fabric but with food. <laughs> um, that's kind of where I thought this movie was going to go, and I didn't. It didn't. It wasn't that. It was more Duke of Burgundy with food. Um, it's a very very weird movie. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had on my film professor, Mark Bold, Dr. Mark Bold, on For Crimes of the Future, and we spoke about David Cronenberg. And when I mentioned that I was doing an episode on Flat School May, he said that, you know, Flat School May is perhaps Peter Strickland's best movie, and unfortunately, it would be the one that means that he will never, ever get to make another movie ever again. Um, and that, that just seems... I, that's all I thought about when I finished the movie, was that he's right... It, it, I, I mean, he's right in, in one half. I don't think it's Peter Strickland's best movie. I think Barbarian Sound Studio still is. Um, but it does feel as though this is this is a very, very odd movie. It's, it is a commentary on art. It's a commentary on sound. I don't want to say music, but sound. Mm -hmm. And it's a commentary on ego. Um to kind of glaze over the plot a little bit. It's about a band that kind of gets accepted into the Sonic Catering Institute run by uh, Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn Christie's uh, Jan Stevens. Um, and 
It's kind of about them working together through this exploration into, you know, what they do. It's like a, a collective. It's like a, you know, a art installation almost. And you have an outsider, um, Stones, uh, played by Makis Papadimitriou. And he is like looking in, you know, he, he calls himself a hack. You know, he's looking into this. He's, he's a journalist looking into all this. He's recording all of it. And it's almost the movie is kind of about him coming, like slowly becoming a part of them and being drawn into it. Um, it's almost as though the art is taken over him just by recording it and, and by taking note. Um, I think the movie, I think the movie is 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 worth watching. I think it's a, a very very odd movie. I think there's gonna be a lot of people that watch this that aren't gonna like it. They aren't gonna really understand what it is trying to do. Um, but for me, someone who's familiar with Peter Strickland's work, it really really did work for me. And it's, like I said, it's kind of interesting him kind of breaking in expectation because like I said I thought this was just going to be in fabric but with food and I was really kind of pleasantly surprised that it didn't do that right. um the film is darkly funny um you know it's it takes it doesn't say it takes pleasure in a certain certain uh characters uh um what do you call it his discomfort mm -hmm. um it doesn't really play it for laughs but it more plays it for um, like sympathy. Um, and that really is like an unusual thing to kind of feel in a movie like this, where you sometimes, you know, with a character who has a certain affliction, you kind of have a predisposition to laugh at them, but you almost, you feel sympathetic and you almost feel like you, you kind of feel relatable it's relatable in a way because you either you either know somebody who's who's like that or you yourself have been like that in the past right um without going into spoilers so i i think the movie is is a very very interesting watch um and it's certainly one i think for the books for for this year in, in movies it's not something i would have expected to see um i think we're gonna go into spoilers now um because there's like uh, there's a few aspects of the film I kind of want to delve into. Um, so spoiler section now for, for Flux Gourmet. Um, in interviews, uh, Strickland has said that he's kind of said that the, this idea came out of making a biopic of a band that no one has heard of. Um, he found that quite interesting. Um, you know, he said that usually you get biopics of, you know, Queen and Elton John. It was kind of at the same time these kind of biopics were coming out. And he thought it'd be kind of funny to do one on a band that no one's ever heard of. Um, and he said, with biopics, he said, the nature of them is deodorize and sanitize and look as good as possible. I wanted to do the opposite. They're not nice characters, you know. I was into that, the idea of deceit. Um, and that's something this movie goes into quite a lot. It really delves into that kind of feeling of ego and deceit and band politics that... You know, in, in other movies like Spinal Tap is, is, you know, played for laughs. But in here, you you, you feel uncomfortable watching it. Um, I don't know what you thought of the whole kind of band dynamic between uh, I think it's Billy Rubin, uh, Lamia, uh, Lamina and Elder L. Um, Elder L being the, you know, the John Lennon of the group. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the 
yeah, the Christopher Guest character almost. Um, why do, what, how, how did you find that whole kind of band dynamic? And were you expecting, where did you, where did you expect that to go through the movie? Um, were you, were, were you surprised to see it almost be like a, you know, like he says, like a band biopic of someone you've never heard of? Well, I thought it was really interesting. One, I, I didn't think about it until right as the credits were rolling. I was like, wait a minute. Billy Rubin and uh, what was, um, I'm blanking on her. What is uh, Ariane uh, Labed's name? In the, What is her uh, character's name in the film? Lamina Propria. Yeah, so uh, both of those names are um, related to digestion. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And then... Uh, L to L is, you know, she, uh, of she, or she is she, or, you know, depending on, um, or she from she, excuse me, I, you know, depending on, I believe this is, uh, Italian, um, which I don't speak Italian, so please correct me, um, but, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a preposition, like, uh, I, I mean, kind of the way that, um, we're going into full spoiler territory, right? Yes, um, yes, we are. Yeah. So, the, kind of the way that Elle perceives herself, I, I mean, she from she, that, that I mean, to me, that, especially in with um, Stones using scripture um, in in his, you know, kind of personal monologues or journals or whatever, um, it's kind of like her saying, you know, what, what God says to Moses in Exodus, I am who I am. Um, and so, and that kind of works well with uh, L's kind of uh, uh, narcissism. Like everything is about L and what L wants, um, and and both Billy and uh, Lamina all kind of just, they they hate her, but they they make good music together, and they have the, they both have this weird sexual history with her. Which, by the way, her relationship with Billy creeps me the heck out. I was like, uh, that was predatory, and I don't like that, and that makes me really uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, just... Uh, I, there, there's so much about her, just, you know, she's awful, but this is how she views herself. Um, and so I thought it was interesting that they're like a culinary... I mean, they're culinary artists, if you will. Um, and... And they they have food names, and I think that's that's or names related to digestion. I thought that was really interesting. Um, I mean, you could even argue stones with all of his intestinal discomfort. You know, is that related to gallstones or whatever? You know, which again, like your gallbladder is what creates the di digestive um, uh, juices that go into your stomach. So, um, yeah, there, there's lots of uh, interesting. Uh, naming choices with this i thought that was really f kind of fun and fascinating just for another layer of for what they're doing and i'm sorry i feel like i lost track of the question because i got wrapped up in all of that no no it's okay um <laughs> it's like it's kind of just trying to it's trying to unpack really what the use what that kind of band is is what is almost trying to be said by the usage of this band mm. the the these culinary artists and and what what they are doing in within this the the institute the sonic catering institute yeah um, yeah i mean when when that kind of popped up on on the on the on the screen I, I i i laughed to myself because it's it's almost i don't want to say python-esque but it's such a silly thing to see 
Sonic Catering Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is something that you you kind of almost expect. Okay, that I can see somebody doing that. That is, you know, a weird thing that's that some people would do. You know, making noises out of cooking. Um, and then kind of on research, doing some research on this, it actually turns out that Peter Strickland himself was part of a band called the Sonic Catering Band, which was an experimental noise outfit where him and his bandmates would actually record the preparation of food and manipulate it. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And it actually, this movie kind of came out of that. Um, you know, he, he said that their bands became a device to explore stomach issues um <laughs> you know that the, the the band in the film you know he says that they're that they're they're short of ideas and they, they pounce on the character of stones the journalist they can use his suffering for their art mm-hmm. um and it's almost a kind of how like the ego takes over that as well that like the ego between elder l and, and billy rubin in particular um and jan stevens it's like who who is who is in charge who who's who's kind of who's going to come out on top of these mind games. Um, the scene in particular that comes out of that is the almost absurd conversation about the flanger. Yes. Which is a, a music device, which I have no idea what it does. But <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as it is mentioned that Jan Stevens says, oh, we'll get rid of the flanger, then Elder L, despite not even knowing what it is she objects to it she has no she has no idea what it does but she objects to it just because this person has said that they don't want it um and he actually says i found an interview with roger ebert there's gonna be a lot of quoting from interviews because Pierre strickland is a really interesting guy um but he says um that's a long story really because that comes out of my own misunderstanding when i was in a very similar band there was an effect which i thought was a flanger which i hated we always argued about it it was not a flange it was actually a pitch shifter then i got to learn what a flanger does and i kind of realized there's so many moments in music where it really really got to me in flux it's more like a MacGuffin to me because fatma's character doesn't even know what a flanger is <laughs> um and that yeah i so said it feeds into that whole kind of idea of ego and who actually has control of the situation right um and this is where stones gets drawn into it he gets gets drawn into the mind games a little bit um you know he he feels physically uncomfortable with his gastrointestinal problems but also mentally uncomfortable by the situation he's been placed in um you know he's on for the walks and he he's you know he feels the tension he feels he's almost like the the audience surrogate for the feelings <laughs> as it were you know he feels all the physical discomfort and also the mental discomfort as well um, Stones really has been is, was put through the ringer. I, I thought um, the character, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, uh, just just a couple of things that I want to want to add in. Um, one, I just love that this is a thing that has actually existed in the real world. Um, I think that's really fascinating. Uh, two, uh, so uh, my cousin by marriage is a musician uh, by trade, and he actually does a lot of this um, kind of uh, aesthetic noise type music. Um, now, he primarily does this um, with like lo-fi kinds of sounds, um, and he uses a guitar and um, a bunch of different uh, effects pedals to achieve this. 
Um, and it's actually really interesting. And, and, and a lot of it, I think, is actually really beautiful, like what he can come up with. And it is... Um, it's it it's uh it's again you said this movie was more of a mood than a story and and that's ex- primarily what this kind of music uh or noise creation is is um it, it creates moods it creates feelings and emotions it doesn't necessarily like tell a story but it you know it makes you think about those particular emotions and what those particular emotions or feelings bring out in you and um A flanger is an audio effect produced by mixing two identical signals together, one signal delayed by a small and gradually changing period, usually smaller than 20 milliseconds. So it's going to give you an interesting kind of echo effect. Um, It's very, very interesting. I have never personally, I play guitar, I've never used a flanger. Um, But I thought that was... uh, really funny um that that was kind of the you know as you said the MacGuffin of the uh of the uh the movie but again it's it's about I mean you again you can look at this flanger as kind of a metaphor for what Elle wants and then other people coming behind her and trying to do their own thing and uh and she's not about that she only wants her voice to be heard her story you know, she wants control, and the flanger she, messes with that. She wants the echo. Yes. Um, you know, despite not knowing what it is, she wants the echo. Um, and when she's said that you can't have the echo anymore, she rejects it, despite the fact that it's the thing that's providing the echo. <laughs> um, Yeah, I hadn't the, really dug into that yeah. until just now, but I, I think that's a really interesting metaphor for what is going on in the film. I thought the performances in this were really quite something. Uh, Fatma mm-hmm. Mohammed uh, in In Fabric, she was incredible. Um, the way she moved, the way she speaks, um, she's a Romanian and she has an incredible speaking pattern because you know English is not her, her first language. Um, and in here, it's... He's, she's almost um, she's been challenged by Peter Strickland almost to just keep going as far as she can go with her the way she speaks and the way she moves and her performance as well as L to L um, it's a very very like powerful performance um, and she doesn't feel like she is uncomfortable. She doesn't feel like she's lost control of a situation. She is totally in, in in one with this character. And I think everybody, in fact, I mean, Asa Butterfield was quite a surprise because I didn't even know he had this in him. Um, you know, this is a this is an actor that we, we saw in Hugo. He was in Ender's Game, um, Miss per- Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which is a, a Tim Burton movie that no one's seen. Uh, um, Gwendolyn Christie is in that. <laughs> okay, so you have seen you've seen I, that. I haven't then. actually seen it. I just know she's. I've seen the scene that she's in, and she's just okay. a random person, you know, looking at a shop window. <laughs> but she's hard to miss. She's six foot three. <laughs> um, so I mean, he's he's very much like an actor that you know you don't expect to see in a in a weird, you know, indie art film directed by Peter Strickland. Um, and he he gets a really kind of 
fragile performance. Um, Billy is a is a very fragile character, and when he is allowed to show his in, his vulnerability, it really really does come out in in a sincere way. Um, you know, his relationship with Jan Stevens is almost motherly in a weird, weird, creepy way because obviously they sleep together. Um, and there's a, there's something going on with his character as well about his relationship with eggs and his relationship with, you know, motherly figures in his life mm-hmm. and, you know, powerful women figures in his life and Elder L being one of them and, and Jan Stevens being the one, the other in, in this, in this movie. Um, I think this, I think this film is very much about relationships and about, you know, our relationship with something because the film kind of delves on this idea of food and the idea of the stomach and the idea of having like almost like a sensitive interpretation of what the stomach actually does, you know, rather than what other films kind of do with, you know, with that, when it makes it the, you know, the, the joke, you know, you get the, the flat, the fart jokes and all this kind of stuff. This film doesn't do that. It's, it's trying to make things more intimate. Um, you know, it's taking a thing like, you know, our, our, witnessing stones going through this distress and we really really feel for him and that you know the moment where you know he's has that colonoscopy on stage um you know it's not done in a comedic way it's 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 dark it's done in like a really really sympathetic and um you know if you're laughing you're, you're almost laughing at the absurdity of it not because of the actions that are going on just by the fact that it's being used for a performance and he is stuck in the middle of it. You know, you feel really, really, really sorry for him. Um, but he's, you know, he's he's been drawn into this. He's been drawn into this world. It's a very, very intoxicating world. Um, and part of that intoxication, I think, is is Gwendolyn Christie as Jan Stevens. Um, I think she towers above everybody. I mean, she's a very, very tall woman. Um, and she has a very, very imposing presence in this movie, and very, very much her her costumes uh, really, really add to that. Um, well, I mean, that's that's just kind of you know a, a typical Tuesday for Gwen. She loves to wear these like fabulous and like crazy outfits, uh, just because she can. Um, and and you know, I couldn't pull it off, but good for her. Um, <laughs> um, I, I do want to offer correction. I misremembered. She was not in um, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. It was the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. So okay, so other, I still stand obscure, by uh, other obscure film about the same time. <laughs> so I, I still stand by my fact that nobody has seen Miss Peregrine's uh, Home for yeah. Peculiar Children. <laughs> um, yeah, her, her 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 whole look. I mean, um, they were looking at. Um, films of George Franju or a film like uh, Daughters of Darkness which when I stopped to think about it I was like oh yeah there's definitely a, a you get that mm-hmm. the way Daughters of Darkness feels is is this weird you know European production of a vampire movie and here it's almost like the same kind of feel it's this it doesn't feel as though it belongs in Britain it doesn't feel as though it belongs in Europe it's a, a kind of like a weird melding of being out of place um 
doesn't feel as though it is, this take that takes place in the real world. It's really very much like, you know, out of its own. It's almost like how in Fabric, despite the fact that that movie, I'm pretty sure takes place in the modern day, but everybody dresses as though it's still the 70s. Right. Um, like it, it's just, it just feels out of place. Everything just feels feels that kind of out of place look. And they talk about how, um, with Gwendolyn Christie, you know, she. You know, she very, very much was like methodical in her performance. She was very like understanding of what her role meant to her. Um, and she, they say that uh, she's very consistent, which is not easy for her at all because obviously some of the lines are a little bit niche. I think when we first met us, we shared we had a lot of shared references, and that was very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really, I think you see that. I think you saw that in, in Fabric. Her performance in Fabric really, really gave something to Peter Strickland's sensibilities. And in, in Flux Gourmet, it, it does the same thing. I think you were right at the beginning where you said like he's really kind of attracted actors that as soon as they're a part of his world, you know, they almost like keep going. Um, right. You know, Fatma Mohammed, you know, this is a fifth, his fifth film with her and, and with Gwendolyn Christie, it's now the second one back to back. You know, it's... It feels as though like actors and before actors kind of once they're in that world, they're almost allowing themselves to continue being swept on by Peter Strickland's sensibilities in his filmmaking. It's it's almost like uh he's forming his own type of artistic collective. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Um what did you think of the ending? Um the the moment where the um I can't actually remember what the name of the, the rival group was um, that, oh. that got rejected from the Institute. It was like they, the something snack or something like that. Yeah. Um, um, they, the name they, just they, made me laugh. I was like, oh, y'all think you're a bunch of snacks? Okay. <laughs> they funny. attempted an assassination. I think they attempted assassination on Jan Stevens, but they ended up taking that L to L. I think that's what we were meant to interpret that as. Yes. Um, and she is promptly shot in the head and then the next thing we see is what can only be assumed as her self her body mm-hmm. being used in a culinary performance with right. implied cannibalism <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> yeah um uh, uh so- with stones you know taking the bite and integrating himself into the group right um i so one so I I watched this movie with my husband and um we're both like laughing and grossed out at the same time because we're we're understanding like oh okay cuz that the finale is actually a few of the first opening shots of the film um with uh Lamina dropping the um the meat in the skillet um and then, you know, of course, we see the blender and, like, all of this. And um, I'm realizing, oh, no, <laughs> we, we've seen this before and now I have context. <laughs> so uh, that was that was really um, fascinating. Um, but then we had, and, you know, tell me what you think. Uh, but we get this one very quick shot um, at the end of the performance piece and... Uh, 
there's someone in the audience that, I mean, looks like Elle, but she's wearing sunglasses and a head wrap, and so you can't tell for sure if it's her. Um, what do you think? Was that her? Did she fake her own death somehow? Was she in league with the other artist contingency that didn't uh, get selected? I'll be honest, I'll be honest I didn't actually I... notice. Oh, did you um, not? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, so we, I... we think it's her. We think she faked her own death somehow. That's, I mean, pretty bold since we see the, the gunshot wound and... Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I know. So I don't know how that's possible, or maybe it's just someone meant to look like Elle, and Elle's moving on to a different sort of thing. I, I you know, I don't know. Um, I mean, that'd but... be an in, in, interesting interpretation. Like, she's just become yeah. fed up with this group whatsoever, so she fakes her own death to get out of it. It's and... the most dramatic thing possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... I found um, kind of wrapping up really with this because I th th they said this movie is really really difficult to talk about in terms of plot because there isn't really much of a plot right the, you know it's just more just segmentations of stories and segmentations of mo you know moments going on through the through the film and you know it it just it does feel everything just feels kind of really off and strange um, and totally unique to peter strickland this this does feel like it is totally even i'm assuming you feel that way as well with only watching in fabric you can see that this is a peter strickland movie you know both of them feel totally unique to him um i don't know if you you, you got that yeah yeah it's um i don't know i sorry i was trying to like find like, if other people, like, do they think Elle is out there? I don't know. And I'm also trying to remember <laughs> the name of the other collective. Could you repeat your question? Mystery. I'm so sorry. Um, no, that's fine. I was just going to say, like, did you did you think that, you know, even with only watching In Fabric and Flux Gourmet, that, you know, they are both movies from Peter Strickland? Like, you, you can really see that no one else could make these two. Um, you know, I can see that way. You know, I've seen, you know, Four of his films now and it really feels mm -hmm. as though his sensibility is really really unique to him um and i don't know coming from you you know you're more of a newcomer to his, his mm -hmm. world than than me so i don't know whether you feel that same way yeah you know i now having only seen two of his films uh i i think that it one i i'm a i'm a big fan of cult cinema and i i I love weird movies. And so if you say, hey, Ashley, would you like to watch this weird movie with me? I will say sure, um, because I ain't scared. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> two, I don't know. I, I, I think there is something to be said about um, the kinds of ideas that cult cinema and weird film explore that you don't always see in more mainstream uh, cinema. And so while I felt like In Fabric was like this nice hybrid of David Lynch and uh, Dario Argento, specifically Suspiria, uh, which is my easily my favorite uh, Dario Argento film. Um, this, I felt, was more his own voice. Um, I, you know, it still has a lot of those same kinds of aspects, but stylistically, I really felt like this was 
this was his own. Um, and I, and I couldn't say, oh, this is definitely a, an homage to Argento or this has like notes of, of David Lynch, uh, which I mean, yeah, maybe a little, but with like the weird sexual stuff, which, you know, David Lynch has in his, his work sometimes. Um, but I would say, like, this is a, he's got a really unique voice. I, I can't think of anybody else I could say was, oh, well, these two people make these same kinds of films. Again, I, I feel like his films are, and you, you having seen more of his work than me, do all of them kind of have, like, this mood about them? They're more of a mood than a story? Yeah, I think, um, I think In Fabric is probably the one that most, does the most, kind of conventional narrative right and even then that takes it takes liberties with that um you know because it revolves around a a, a, a killing dress um it's not really a spoiler of the movie because that's literally the on the blurb of the dvd i'm pretty sure mm-hmm. um <laughs> you know it's now three years old that movie as well um but yeah i mean barbarian star studio it, it really the use of sound in Barbarian Sound Studio really is the thing that really hooks you into that movie and it really, really brings you in. It's just kind of, like you said, it's like a mood. Um, and Duke and Burgundy does the same kind of thing as well. Um, I found... Um, so I found this was this was from Mark Kermode's... It's wrapping up now. So this is from Mark Kermode's review of Flux Gourmet and he, he wraps up and he says... Um, it may not have the gyo uh, hook, horror hook of gyo. Sorry, may not have the gyo horror hook of Barbarian Sound Studio, the erotic thriller alert of the Duke of Burgundy, or the pulpy pull of In Fabric. But Strickland devotees will find plenty to chew on as the film makes its strange path through the digestive canals, canals of their twisted imaginations. And I think that's kind of come out, you know, a true to form you know says exactly what i'm gonna i want to say but in much much less words you know there's a definite kind of theme with each of the three previous films each feel like they have a definite kind of thing they wanted to say and i think flux gourmet i was expecting it to say one thing and i'm kind of pleasantly surprised that it's done something else completely different but it's still within that peter strickland I don't want to say auto. <laughs> I don't want to say auto because um, I don't want to sound like a a, a film twat, but it, it does <laughs> it does feel that way. It does feel like it's a definite auto stamp. Um, I don't know if you if you have any closing thoughts on Flat School May. Um, no, I I I just think it's just a really inter- interesting exploration of how do we process our lives and experiences through art um and and you know some and i mean at least in this film the ways that we process uh, can definitely be very messy um but i i think S- stones is a really interesting um he he kind of almost has the perspective of the audience because he's just he's watching everything that's happening along with us um and but he's he's working with his own um internal distress and you know in this case a quite literal internal distress 
Um, but how that's a metaphor for him, like, being afraid to express himself. Um, and so by the end, when he is actually expressing himself, and he finds out, oh, I, you have celiac, you're allergic to gluten, stop eating bread and you won't fart so much or feel so bad. <laughs> like, oh, okay. So for him, it this it's a whole metaphor of, I just need to do one thing, I need to make a decision for myself. And, and that's not a thing that he seems to have done. Um, oh, and I, I did look up the name of the other collective that Jan did not choose, and they are called the Mangrove Snacks. Is is Mangrove a location, or...? I think Mangrove is a, is a type of food. Oh, um, okay. Uh, it's just quite good. Actually, no, it's a, it's a shrub or tree um, okay. that grows in, heard the in coastal saline or brackish, brackish water. Hmm. So, yeah. Fascinating. Um... The mangroves. Yeah, I'm sure there's there must be some kind of reason why he chose the mangrove snacks. Well, it's interesting. Um, uh, it says mangroves are salt tolerant trees, um, and so maybe it's just because the mangrove snacks are salty, they didn't get picked. Um, the, yeah, I mean, I mean, as, yeah. just just uh, I mean, it might be just something as silly as that, but um, <laughs> you know, because uh, I mean, he didn't make any bones about naming a character Billy Rubin um, <laughs> which is um, a you know clear digestive digestive thing <laughs> and so is uh, Lamina um, so anyway it's very fun very fun movie um, not for everybody uh, not but, for everybody but you know if you're into weird cinema um, or if you have a particular affinity for any of the uh, players involved I mean I, I think it's worth checking out. Uh, I mean, I watched it because I love Gwendolyn Christie and I will happily watch anything that she's in because I think she's brilliant. Um, so, I, I it for me, I, I enjoyed watching her performance most uh, just because she got to play someone who is, uh, you know, very glamorous, which she, she is very glamorous in real life, uh, but also someone who is just over-the-top absurd and a little bit mean which is not how she is in real life so anyway uh i i i think this is definitely an interesting film it's definitely one i'm i'm not gonna forget anytime soon i still you know having only seen one other peter strickland film i think about in fabric fairly frequently and i've only seen it once so um i think this is one that's gonna stick with me for a while will you watch his other his other movies I, I'm definitely going to add them to my list. The only way to watch this film in the U.S. is if you subscribe to Shudder. So I found a good deal uh, in I got 20% off a year of Shudder. So I'm going to explore that and see if any of his other work is on there. So um, I think Barbarian Sound Studio might be on there because uh, that is, cool. you know, quote unquote, a horror movie. Uh, Duke and Burgundy, I have no idea how you would <laughs> uh, come across that in the States. Um, um, I I have an honest to god video store in my town, so um, I'm well, gonna go check there because they specialize in cult films. So uh, definitely worth gonna checking out. Excellent, um, cool. So I think you know we've we've wrapping up uh, wrapping up now. So um, I just want to thank Ashley for coming on um, again. Um, I I have no idea why somebody wanted to come on here once, let alone twice, but here we are. <laughs> um, so. Uh, Ashley, where can, where can we find you on the internet? And Do you have an, anything to plug? Uh, 
Sure, sure, sure. So um, lots of different places. So uh, if you want to connect with me on uh, social media, you can hit me up on the tweets at The Nerdy Blogger. You can like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Nerdy Blogger. You can read my words on my blog, nerdyblogging.wordpress.com. You can also read my words on fangirlish.com, where I write about film and television. Right now, largely covering Star Trek and writing a little bit about She-Hulk, too. So uh, stay tuned there. Uh, You can hear my words being read on the Sci-Fi 5 podcast. That's five minutes of science fiction history, five days a week. I'll actually be uh, writing about Gwendolyn Christie a little later this month, because her birthday's the 28th. So uh, tune in for that. Um, here on the We Made This Podcast Network, I am uh, one half of Podcast 616. I uh, share co-hosting duties with Hugh McStay, um, who's also on, you know, not just on 616, but on Vampire Videos. Um, and uh, so we, you know, that's our uh, MCU and all things, uh, other things Marvel podcast. So, um, Otherwise, you can also hear me on a show I do with some friends called Dearly Debated, where we fuss at each other about film, television, comics, uh, video games, whatever it is we're geeking out about. So, it's a lot of places. I stay busy. (laughs) A a lot of places you can find Ashley here, there, and everywhere. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler, where website is superatomavision.com. Um, my other podcast, uh, Keen Atomic, is currently on still on hiatus. Um, me and Danny are having conversations about possibly doing a Halloween episode and, and doing a, a noir-based episode for November. Um, so look out for that. Um, our Twitter for that is at Keen Atomic. Drop us a follow on there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's everything. I th- again, I want to thank Ashley for coming on. Um, thank, you thank you, everybody, for listening and for joining us for another episode. Uh, remember, we are part of the We Made This Podcast Network. Please subscribe to Real Talk and give us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to help out on our network, please consider supporting us on Patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash remade this. Um, Real Talk is a part of the We Made This podcast network and a taste of our other shows can be heard in just a second. For now, from, from myself and my guest, it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening. Three rings for the elven kings under the sky. Seven for the Dwarf Lords in their halls of stone. Nine for mortal men doomed to die. One for the Dark Lord on his dark throne. In the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie. Welcome to One Rules Them All, a Lord of the Rings podcast on the We Made This podcast network. Myself, Luke Winch, and my co-host Baz Greenland will be exploring the new Amazon Prime series, The Rings of Power. Week by week, we should be analysing each episode with a foray of guests. We have also been revisiting the Peter Jackson films and looking at them from a new perspective. So join us every week as we discuss the world of Tolkien and the Rings of Power. One podcast to rule them all. One podcast to find them. One podcast to bring them all. And on the We Made This Network, bind them.